This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, good morning. So glad to be here with you today. Uh, I think one announcement uh, to remind you that next Sunday, we have baptism coming up. So again, to remind you, uh, you can sign up for that. If you have never been baptized, you would like to take the next step with Jesus, you know, baptism is part of discipleship process. You know, it's part of saying, you know, I would love to uh, follow you, Lord. You've been doing that. So just, you know, again, reaffirming your commitment to Jesus. So again, you can sign up for that next Sunday. Uh, we'll have it light here. Uh, at the sanctuary. Um, I'm so glad today to be able to um, share the word with us. I just love the harbor because it's a place where we create room for the Holy Spirit, but also we create room for everybody, right? I'm so glad to be and honored to uh, be asked by Pastor Darren to share the word with us this morning. Praise the Lord. So um, we'll share from the word, and just before I, I read the Bible, I um, just want to tell you a little story about, and it's actually a common story, you may have heard that story before. Um, there's this young man who was actually a pianist, a young pianist, who was a genius, um, who gave his first concert to a sold-out crowd. When he finished his final, his final piece, the crowd went wild. They shouted, they all stood up and cheered. But the young pianist bowed quickly and left the stage. But the audience kept asking him to come back, begging for him to come back. The stage manager whispered to him, God, they are yelling for you. But the young pianist didn't move. Instead, he looked through a crack in the curtain and scanned the audience. And he said, no, I can't go out there. The stage manager said to the young pianist, look, son, they don't do this for everybody. They are on their feet. Trust me. Go out there and enjoy it. The young man continued to peer through the curtain, a crack in the curtain at the audience. And finally, the stage manager shouted at him, get out there. They are all studying for you. The young man looked back at the stage manager and said to, to him, They are not all studying. Do you see that old man at the last row at the back? He is still seated. He is not standing. The stage manager told the young boy, this young pianist, Who cares about one old, young, old man? Who cares about one old man? The boy responded, I care. That's my teacher. When he stands, I can go back on stage and continue the concert. See, the audience was still cheering. They were applauding the magic of his skill. But the young musician knew in his heart that none of that mattered unless his teacher, his mentor, approved. See, in truth, he wasn't playing for thousands in the audience. He was playing for the audience of one. 
I'm going to be talking to us this morning about serving for an audience of one. Serving for an audience of one. We all, thank you, we are in this series we are calling Servolution. That's uh, one's creation. Servolution. And we've been talking about, you know, what's our calling to serve? You know, not only here at, at Harbor, and definitely here at Harbor, but wherever else the Lord have us, right? At our workplaces, in our families, you know, we are called to serve. But we are called ultimately to serve for an audience of one. Even here at Harbor, you know, we ask, you know, people to serve in kids, kids ministry or the first impression. Ultimately, we are called to serve there, but ultimately we are called to serve for an audience of one. So I will read the passage of scripture from the book of Luke, um, chapter 17 and verse 1 to verse 10. Luke 17, 1 at verse 10, and I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And I think John has it on the screen. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to verse 10. I'm going to read for us. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but Lord, but woe to the one through whom they come. It will be better for him if a milestone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard, your brother's sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you have the faith of the, of the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and I will obey you. And it will obey you. Which one of you, having a servant tending sheep and, and or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you can eat and drink. Verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all you have been commanded, you, you, have, you are commanded, you should say, we all and we are the servants. We've only done our duty. Reading from a, a little bit of a hush, you know, a little bit, <laughs> a passage of scripture, but hang, hang in with me, please. Can I have... I'm thirsty. I have some water here, please. Thank you. So Jesus is telling a parable, and it's the parable of the servant and um, the master and the servant. He tells this parable to teach his disciples what is meant to carry the identity of a bond servant in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to carry the culture of a bond servant? And I'm going to be talking about that word later, bond servant. What does it mean to carry the culture of a bond servant in the kingdom of God? Because Jesus has some expectations. The kind of, the kind of life his disciples as servants are meant to live. Jesus has actually high expectations 
from his disciples. Because Jesus will say things like, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, I think the, the scripture is on the, on, the, on the screen, Jesus will say something like, no one who puts a hand to the prow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In another place, Jesus says things like, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 27. He says things like, if your hand or your foot causes you to, to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Matthew 18, verses 8. Of course, Jesus is not asking us to cut part of our bodies. You know, that's a figure of speech. You know, he's trying to emphasize, right? So don't do that, please. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. You know? And the list goes on. He says things like love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, play for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 27, 28. See, the list goes on. And these are all red letters. These are all the words of Jesus. Jesus doesn't, as we see here, he doesn't try to play church. He's actually real. Jesus is real with his disciples. He tells them discipleship is hard stuff. You see, elsewhere Jesus says, you know, in this, in this world, you'll have trouble. I remember when I, I was graduating Bible College in Uganda in 2010. I remember we, have this, we had this guest speaker who came to speak um, uh, in our commencement uh, event. And he had his message entitled, You Will Suffer. I know I don't know about you, but that's not a very popular message to graduating students. Right? We, we hear things like, you know, usually we'll hear things like, you know, you, you are special. Now God changed the world. Right? But, 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 but we talk about changing the world. But in honest, if we are going to be the ones to go and change the world, we will suffer. We talk about here at Harbor that we believe that we are transformed people. Called to transform culture. Right? And I believe that's part of transforming culture comes with taking up the cross or taking up the, 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 the culture of a born servant and changing the world. So again, Jesus here now we read in our passage, he sets two more expectations for his disciples. He tells them to avoid offenses and to forgive anyone who wrongs them. He tells them, offenses will come. So Jesus is saying, it's not possible to live among other people without there be occasions for offenses. You know, and I imagine Jesus is speaking to a multitude of disciples, not only the 12. This was a diverse group, right? With all kinds of different interests. Even just the 12, we know they were a diverse group. There were a bunch of fishermen. There was a tax collector. There was a guy who was actually a zealot nationalist, who I can imagine he carried aloud a sword or a dagger. So this is a, a diverse group. And so when Jesus is talking about offenses, he's talking about offenses in the context of relationship. You see, relationships are hard work. Whether it's family relationships or work relationships, they are hard work, right? And even in the church, we are called to steward faithfully, to faithfully steward our relationships with one another with perseverance because there will be difficulties in our relationship that need to be patiently worked through. So, either way, Jesus says, there will be, of course, 
there'll be, of course, a, a knucklehead. You know, be someone who will bring offenses. You know, so, and you know, Jesus has has not very good words for this person. He says this person should be tied around his neck with a with a milestone. And like Jesus is using a figure of speech, he's not literally saying that's going to happen. He's just, just trying to create, you know, a response, right? You know, Jesus is a master teacher. He's trying to tell them this is how serious that is. You know, John Bevere, John Bevere, Bevere, however you want to pronounce that, in his book, <laughs> The Bait of Satan, he says offenses among Christians is one of the greatest hindrance to the work of the kingdom. You know, offenses make Christians to take off their eyes or their focus from the field onto themselves. You see, here what you need to know but, that, but this is what you need to know about offenses. And I'm going to uh, bring a big, uh, um, a long quote here from Bevere, Big John Bevere. And he says, I think he's on the screen. This is good, because after this, you know, we can go home. He says, offense is the most deceptive and insidious bait of Satan. Offense itself is not deadly. if It stays in the trap. But if we pick it up and consume it and feed on it, feed on it in our hearts, then we have become offended. Offended people produce much fruits, such as heart, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, and envy. Often those who are offended do not realize that they are trapped. They are oblivious to the accusation because they are so focused on the wrong that was done to them. The most effective way for the enemy to blind us is to cause us to focus on ourselves. You know, I don't know about, but this statement for me, it says it, says it all that we need to know about offenses. In other words, Jesus is, I mean, uh, John Bevere is saying, don't take the bait. Don't be triggered, you know. Now we, we have all, the, all kinds of things that trigger people today, right? Nowadays, you know. He says, be untriggerable. He says, be on your guard, verses 3. You know, stay spiritually vigilant. We need to be unoffendable, untriggerable, right? He says, do not offend, but do not, also do not be offended, easily offended. So Jesus tells the disciples, avoid offenses and forgive freely and endlessly. As we know, the Pharisees, they were a master in, uh, in studying the law. And they had said, you only need to forgive three times. After that, you can take the matter in your own hands. Jesus says, no, forgive endlessly. And I know forgiveness is hard because our feelings are involved, right? You know, being sinned against can be painful and costly. So I'm sensitive to that. But because, but, but Jesus tells his disciples that forgiving others is part of being his disciples. Forgiving others is part of being his disciples. Because of this, the disciples, as you can imagine, they felt overwhelmed and asked Jesus, increase our faith. <laughs> You know, the disciples had witnessed Jesus perform miracles. They had witnessed Jesus raise the dead. But none of that had caused them to ask for an increase of faith. But when Jesus tells them, I expect you to forgive offenses, they ask for more faith. Just like we do today, right? We, we fight it a little bit. You know, that's a little bit of a stretch, right? So when Jesus asks, I mean, when the disciples ask for more faith, what do they want? Of course, Jesus knew that it was not the quantity of faith that the disciples needed, but quality. So Jesus tells them that they need mustard seed faith. You know, what, what's mustard seed faith? 
We're going to look at this popular passage we did in the Bible. We call actually the, this passage the parable of the mustard seed. It's Luke chapter 13 and verse 18 to verse 19. Just to highlight what the, this passage, passage is saying. I don't think we have it there. But anyways, yeah, it says, um, Jesus asked, uh, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Of course, he said, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds patched in its branches. So Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Of course, you, know, people, you may have heard before that the mustard plant actually was, it wasn't like actually a tree. It was actually a bush. It was like a shrub, right? So, so, so Jesus is comparing this, the kingdom of God to a little bush, a little shrub. Because the, the people and the religious leaders, they expected the kingdom of God to come as a mighty cedar tree, right? Or a big tree. But the reign of God came as a shrub, as a small bush, not a mighty cedar, cedar tree or the cedar tree. Jesus didn't come as a superpower incarnation of King David, but he came as a humble mustard seed. He came as a suffering servant and laid hold of a greater kingdom than none, no one of us could have ever imagined. So the people were looking for a warrior, but Jesus came as a shepherd. The people were looking for a king who would defeat their enemies and kill them, but Jesus came as the forgiving son of God. So when Jesus tells his disciples to have the mustard seed, faith is reminding them that their, reminding them that their lives are now under the culture of the lane of God. Having the mustard seed faith means having our thoughts, our attitudes, our feelings, our actions wholly transformed by the culture of God's kingdom. And I say like, you know, we talk about, you know, transforming culture um, here at Harbor, you know, but, but one of the primary ways that we transform the culture is to carry the culture of a born servant back into the world. Carrying the culture of a born servant or an identity of a born servant back into the world. The ability to, offend, the ability to avoid offenses and to forgive freely in the kingdom of God does not require an increase of faith. It comes from carrying that culture, carrying the culture of a born servant and understanding of yourself as a born servant. Servants have authority only as they serve their master. Now we finally come to the parable, right? Going to come to this little piece Jesus gives here, the parable of the master and the servant. And I'm going to draw five lessons from this parable that we need to learn about what it means to carry the culture, the identity of a born servant in the kingdom of God on earth. All right, I have five lessons that I will just point out. And the first lesson is serving the kingdom of God all comes down to you and Jesus. Serving the kingdom of God all comes down to you and Jesus. See, if you read... In verse 7, Jesus asks the disciples, which one of you having a servant? So Jesus invites the disciples to imagine themselves as having a servant. Notice it doesn't say servants. It says a servant, one servant. And so this one servant does basically everything. 
See, it doesn't matter what other people are doing and not doing, right? Jesus wants you to imagine yourself as the only servant that he has. I want, you to, I want to repeat that again. Jesus wants to imagine yourself, to think of yourself, to understand yourself as the only servant that he has. The matter of serving the kingdom of God all comes down to you and Jesus. And this is the responsibility of every disciple, every servant. We serve for an audience of one. Serving the kingdom, whatever work we do, whatever we serve the kingdom, means we ultimately serve an audience of one. You know, there's a time that, uh, that Peter, the disciple, he asked Jesus, I think he asked Jesus about John. He, said, he asked Jesus, How about the, what's his assignment? What's the, what's the assignment that you're giving to, to John, the disciple? You can read that in John chapter 21 and verse 21. And Jesus said, Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. You see, the Lord calls us to always remember that after all is done and said, it will all come down to you and Jesus, how you serve. And I'm not talking about being isolated. That's not what I'm talking about. Serving an audience of one, imagining yourself as the only servant of the Lord, is more of an inner attitude, right? Because some Christians, you know, think that they are very spiritual, that they can do it alone, you know, and I, I come across... You know, I, I work as a chaplain, a hospice chaplain, and one of my responsibilities is to do what we call a spiritual assessment. I ask them, what's your spiritual background? What's your, Christ, what's your Christian background? And I can't tell you how, many, how often I hear this over and over again. People tell me, no, I don't care about the church. I pray by myself. I read the Bible by myself. So when I talk about, it comes down to you and Jesus, I'm not talking about being isolated because mature Christians are not loners. They are connected with each other in the kingdom or in the church. The Christian life is not a private affair. There's no room for individual Christianity in the kingdom. But it's people doing life together. So the kingdom of God is each one of us serving the Lord as if we are his only servant while linking hearts with other fellow servants. The kingdom of God is serving the Lord, serving Jesus, as if you are all his only servant. But also we link hands with fellow servants. Serving the kingdom of God all comes down to you and Jesus. And I wanted to point out that because it's important, right? Because ultimately we'll, we'll each be answerable to the Lord, how we served right? How we served the Lord. It's ultimately you and the Lord. So the second lesson that I want to draw from this uh, parable is there is a difference between what it means to serve and what it means to be a servant. There is a difference between what it means to serve and what it means to be a servant. You know, to choose to serve puts you in charge. I'll volunteer here today, you know, I'll volunteer Kids, kids ministry or first impression but to be a servant a servant doesn't choose when and where they serve they serve whenever wherever the Lord asks them that's what it means to be a servant our job description as disciples is anything that the master asks and wants you to do 
verse 8, verse 8 of the parable says, notice, and I think he's on the, on the screen again. Verse 8 says, Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat? Get ready, serve me. While I eat and drink, later you can eat and drink. It's all about the master, right? At the end of the verse, it says, afterward, you'll eat and drink. So the question is not, what do I want to do? The question is, what does the, the Lord, what does Jesus want me to do? Disciples as servants are expected to do what the master asks of them. When we start before Jesus, our statement should be, Lord, we have done what you asked us to do. That's the kingdom faith. That's how it works. It's doing what the master asks you to do. So the second point is, there's a difference between what it means to serve and what it means to be a servant. That point is, there will always be more work for us to do for the master. There will always be more work for us to do for the master. So Jesus is describing as we start the parable, is describing someone who's, who really served the life of a servant. This person was plowing and plowing his, his hard work physically. It's exhausting to plow, right? You know, I'm from Africa, and in, in some places we used to use this ox, you know, to plow, and you press it on your stomach, and you, the, the ox or the oxen is, is pulling uh, the, the, the plow. It's, it's hard work, it's exhausting. And this man, the servant, was tending sheep. And tending sheep is hard work because we know f- sheep are foolish, right? <laughs> they require a lot of, you know, a lot of patience. And, you know, you have to be very attentive, you know, full, you know. So it's, 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 it's hard work. But the, ma- the servant comes back. And what does the master ask him? He doesn't rest. There's more work to be done for the master in the house. So Jesus is teaching that the work of the kingdom never ends. We can never feel like we have done enough. You know, there's this person who actually was trying to capture the, the mentality of the disciples. He said, this is, that statement is on the screen, um, that the disciples were looking for the crown of labor before their work was done. The disciples were looking for the crown of labor before their work was done. There's much work still to be done. And Jesus wanted the disciples, and he wants us today to keep going. You know, today we, we should consider all that is left to be done. We should consider all that is left to be, to be done here at Harbor or in the mission field. And I know we, we, work, we work, you know, our, our jobs, you know, it's, we, and it's usually very hard. You know, it's, we, we serve very hard during the week. You know, but, but, but when we come, you know, to, we come at the harbor, we, we leave our work week on, on the weekends. I want to remind you, you know, it's no time to rest. It's no time to relax. He says, there is still much more work to be done. It's not time to rest yet. Can you ask the Lord today, what does he want you to do? What does he want you to do? Because that's the attitude of a servant. You know, I have found that even when I feel very tired, weary, you know, if I give Jesus my yes, you know, he comes and meets me there. And he helps me to keep going. Because guys, you know, I, I get it. We get tired. We live in America. You know, we, we are called here, there, and, and there. You know, there's so much demands on us. 
But we still the people God is counting on to do the unfinished work. There's still much more work to do. So after you've done your work week, after you've done your work day, God calls you, come with me. And when you give him your yes, he's going to come and meet you there and help you keep going. Okay? So that's number three was there is a difference. No, number three was there is always more work for us to do for the master. Number four, we are born servants and we serve the household of the father. We are born servants and we serve the household of our father. You know, if you read um, verse 10, in the NIV, in the version we, we read, the, 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 the Christian Standard Bible, it says in this, way, in this way also. But here it says, you, so you also. So Jesus reveals to his disciples that they are the servant in this parable. They are the Lord's duros. You know, the word there is duros. Um, there's a big, another quote or quotation that I want us to look there. We are the Lord's duros. says, the word servant is better translated born servant. Born servants are those who have declared their identity and belonging with the household of the master. Born servants are not strangers. Those who have declared their deep love and affection to follow Jesus, their master. In making this decision, the master put a visible mark permanently on the born servant as a connection of him and his or her to his family. That is who we are in our identification with Jesus. We are born servant. And we know that you read the book of Philippians. Jesus took the form of a born servant. You read the, the scriptures, Peter and, and, and Paul and, and, and James. The scripture describes or calls them born servants of Jesus. Born servants of Jesus. Of course, the, the language here in the scripture, in verse 10, says we are unworthy servants. I don't want you to get the picture that they are saying that they are worthless. That's not the word here. The, the word unworthy servants means that we are servants only on the authority of the master, not on our own authority. Unworthy servants mean that we are sustained by the grace of God to do what he asks us to do. Only God's grace empowers us to serve the kingdom purposes. We are the born servants in the house of our father. What an honor to be called sons and daughters of God. At the same time, born servants who serve his kingdom purposes on earth. The last point, and this is shocking. Point number five says, the master serves the servant. The master serves the servant. So one day, you know, we read the scriptures. Jesus will thank us and reward us. You know, we read in Luke chapter 19. Jesus says, well done, my good servant. Right? We know that it's coming. But when we read the book of Luke chapter, uh, chapter 12 and verse 35, 37, excuse me. I'm going to read for us that, that one verse. Luke 12 verse 37 says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching or working when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Jesus will wait on us when all this 
is done. When our work is done, Jesus will come and wait on us. And of course, we know Jesus was this perfect example, even when he was on the earth, of a servant. Right? We, we know him, whether uh, uh, he's washing the feet of his disciples, but we know the ultimate picture of serving is Jesus did not hold back from giving everything he had for the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 53, Jesus, who was king, is a picture of a servant. He served as a born servant in the mission of the kingdom by giving his body to be torn apart through crucifixion. That's the ultimate example of service. Give up his body to be torn apart for the kingdom purposes, to advance the kingdom of God. So I want us to consider today the invitation to serve, following the example of Jesus. See, John chapter 5, verse 30 says, and I think he's on, this, on the screen again, see that Jesus served for an audience of one. He says, the scripture says, I try to please the one who sent me. I try to please the one who sent me. This morning, I want to invite us. I want to invite us. When I was preparing, I just felt there was a drone, drone in our heart or in my heart to ask you to, con- to reconsider saying yes to the work of God again. You know, we, we become, and we were talking even at the beginning of the service, talking about becoming familiar, you know. We become familiar with emotion. We become familiar with how, how things work. But I want you to remember that there is still more work to be done. And the Lord asks us to again recommit ourselves, to again put our hands on the prow for the kingdom purposes. So as the band starts to play, I want you to, if you can, to stand up on your feet with me. As the band starts to, uh, to play, and I want you to ask you to begin to ask the Lord, what does he want you to do? What does the Lord want you to do? What does the Lord want you to do? What does the Lord want you to do? I'm sensitive. I, I know we work. We work our work week hard. And we come back home exhausted. And we crash on the couch and we watch TV. But I want you to remind you. I want to remind you that there is still a lot of work to be done. We can talk about the mission field. We can talk about even the fulfillment of the gospel of the kingdom in our midst. There are still people who need to know their identity as sons and daughters of God. Is the Lord calling you to commit to prayer more? Is the Lord calling you to stand in the gap? That's the greatest way we can begin serving the Lord is in the, in, in, the, in the privacy of your closet, in the privacy of your house. You can commit yourself to be going on your knees and crying out to the Lord. Crying out to the Lord for the lost. Crying out to the Lord for the gospel of the kingdom to, to be preached and to, be, and to advance the kingdom purposes. Begin to talk to him. Begin to ask the Lord, what does he want you to do? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to do? The Lord wants to refresh us. He wants to renew our strength because it's not yet time to rest. It's not yet time to rest. The Lord, the Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Lord is calling us again back to waiting on Him. When we are tired, 
spend some time giving me your yes and he meets you there he meets you there to keep you going to keep you going he says lift up your drooping hands strengthen your weak knees for it's time to seek the Lord lift up those hands strengthen your weak knees it's time to serve the Lord the spirit the Holy Spirit is awakening a holy desire a holy desire in us as born servants to put our hands again to put our hands again we've done it before servants of God have done it over generations they didn't consider themselves worth more than the kingdom of God worth more than the work that was meant to be done they gave a lot we can learn lessons from the, from the past generations and the Lord says we are not yet done we are not yet done it is not time to rest yet come on lift up those hands before the Lord and begin to tell him Lord what do you have for me to do what do you want me to, me to do Lord I yes I give you my yes today 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 Lord I give you my yes today Lord come meet me Lord come meet me here Lord I am tired I'm weary I'm tired I'm weary Lord but I give you my yes I say yes to you Lord I say yes to you Lord count me in count me in count me in Lord count me in Lord I give you my yes again Lord I give you my yes again Lord you've walked with me in the past you've used me in the past I renew my commitment to you I renew my commitment to you I say yes I say yes Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.